Hey Mustangs, this is Mr. Stefanelli coming to you from the Mustang Express podcast. I have a very special guest, Dr. Thomas Farrell, our superintendent, is here. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Mr. Stefanelli. Today uh, we have a big announcement and we want to talk about some budgeting processes and other things that Dr. Farrell has been working on. Uh, We are so excited to have him here. So let's get started, Dr. Farrell. We're starting the budget process. So tell us a little bit about that, what what your role is, what other roles are, what's going on. Sure. Uh, Probably one of the most important things I do as superintendent is to, you know, kind of lead the budget process and make sure that teachers and the practicum people in the classroom have the resources they need, right, to implement many of our goals and objectives here at Brick Schools. When I first got here, uh, I'm just starting my fourth year, believe it or not. Feels like dog years since COVID, right? Yeah, it really does. So you, because you started right before COVID. Yeah. I started so, March first, so twenty twenty, and two weeks later, I think we cut fifty jobs in a budget and closed schools. So we really, we would throw you into the deep end of the pool. Thank you. So that first year I started, I was able to start doing research on what's called S two. Yes, we keep hearing this term, and I think that maybe 90% of the people probably don't really understand what's going on. Perfect. Great question. I'm one of them. (laughs) And early on when I first started here, I did not understand the legislative process. Um, I'm a lot more schooled in that process now. So schools and districts and boards of education across New Jersey are funded through the state of New Jersey. To give you a historical context, um, it's really under the 10th Amendment. That which is not in the Constitution is left up to the states. So public education has fell on the states since the 1800s. In New Jersey, we have local town education systems under what's called local control and boards of education, not countywide systems like some other states. And they fund us through what's called a funding formula. And that formula since the 70s has changed different. Um, In the late 80s, early 90s, there was the Abbott ruling that really said, hey, I know you're saying a budget should be adequate at this amount, but in some of the inner cities, they don't have the resources to raise taxes to cover that. Therefore, the state needs to subsidize them better. So that affected, that was one iteration of a funding formula. And then in 2008, it was kind of a seminal Uh, year in education because they created what's called the School Funding Reform Act. And that created a very complicated and convoluted formula that everybody talks about. And this is the formula that we hear, release the formula, explain it. Which they did, but never explained it. So what they, I'm going to try to make this very simple. The School Funding Reform Act says the state sets what's called a adequate budget, adequacy budget. Every elementary kid is worth 1.0, middle school student 1.4, high school 1.6, vocational 1.9. If you're an ELL, English language learner, if you're a Title I or free and reduced lunch, economically disadvantaged, you get another weight. And they assume that the special education population is 15.9%, which does not make sense. There's, there's a paradox there because the state average is 20% and we're even around 20%. And then they come up with a pot of money and they say, let's say, for example, in brick schools, hypothetically, they would say your adequacy budget is $150 million. That's what the state feels is the budget necessary to provide a thorough and efficient education. They call T&E, constitutionally provided by the state to every student in every district. Now, once they hit that budget, they say, how do you pay for it? Here's where the formula comes in. They figure out what's called a local fair share. What's your community's wealth to pay for that adequacy budget? And that formula is what we asked to be released, which was released about a year ago, 
with these very complicated four-digit decimal factors on wealth and housing and average income. And basically what the state says, and I'll use BRIC over and over again as the example, is that BRIC's wealthy enough that their local fair share is $170 million, that they could easily pay for that adequacy budget. And I'm going to get to where the paradox is, where we're kind of we're caught because we don't have a mechanism to even get that money. So they figure that out. Now, if the local fair share was below the adequacy budget, which Tom's River had a couple years ago and has been changed, every district in the state gets that gap filled by what's called equalization aid. fills the gap. Makes sense. They're saying the budget's here, but your community can only raise this. They fill the gap. In Brick, we we are our local fair share is uh, above our adequacy budget. So they're saying that not only do they not need to help us, but we have more than we need. Correct. Got they're it. saying the community's wealthy. Here's the catch: now you get what's called categorical aid. They have a bunch of different categorical aids. They have security, health, adequacy aid, special ed, extraordinary aid. These are other categories that you can apply for, of which we get some subsidies in. We get a good amount in extraordinary aid for our special education population. But adequacy aid was created with this school funding reform act. And I'm going to get to S2 in a second. Yes. Adequacy aid was created and said, hey, because in 2008 was the first year they funded the school funding reform act 100%. Since then, they never funded it 100%. So you'd get an amount you qualify for, but you never get the 100%. So now they say, well, for those districts that are under adequacy, like Brick, and can't raise their tax levy over the 2% tax cap right. to get to adequacy, there's called adequacy aid. Makes sense. We qualify for it. Absolutely. However, in 2018, under Senate Bill 2, S2, they said, we want to start getting to funding the formula 100%. We're going to get rid of what's called adjustment aid. It's called hold harmless. You wouldn't lose any money since 2009. You'd stay at the same. Okay. You'd never go below. So they got rid of adjustment aid. So therefore, we owed money. And that was S2. And they said... People affected by S2 would pay back over the next seven years the money they were getting in adjustment aid, and they froze the adequacy aid to seven districts in New Jersey, mostly inner city districts. So Senate Bill 2 said that BRIC over a seven-year period is going to pay back, say, $30 million. So every year from 2018, there was a reduction in our state aid based on S2. Plus we're owing money? Correct. So therefore, it was the perfect storm. Now, when you take into consideration that the 2% property cap, property tax cap was put in effect when the inflation rate was 1.5%, and now it's 6.7%, you have the perfect storm. If you just keep the budget static, no increase in teachers or programming, it's going to go up naturally because salaries and benefits go up over 10% lately, health benefits. It's going to go up about 5 to 7%. Yet we can only go out for 2% in our tax levy. And we've reduced our state aid that we're not able to make up another 2 to 4% every year. So it's been the perfect storm that we've been navigating the last three years. It was masked last year because of a lot of the federal monies we got from COVID. Now here in BRIC, I think we did a great job in not taking that one-time big revenue hit and putting it into operations, right? Salaries and teachers, because you just have to lay them off the next year. Right. We put it into HVAC. Remember, 10 of our 12 buildings yes. don't have it. So we put it into capital so you wouldn't rely on that money for ongoing operations continually. Which I think a lot of districts do that. They make that mistake. They do. Actually, some local districts put it into teachers to keep the ship afloat, 
and now they're laying off even more teachers now this year. It, it was kind of masked last year because we got you know almost $7 million between federal and stabilization aid and all these extra aid categories. But I think we did the right thing and not, listen, we didn't have any cuts last year, but we didn't add anything where we'd be in the same boat this year. That doesn't seem to be the case this year. We will be making cuts. Correct. And, and so what happened this year, we've known we were going to lose about you know, $2.9 million. That's our schedule, right? And you could figure about every 90000 is what I call an FTE, a full-time equivalent body that between salary and benefits, because benefits are pretty expensive. I think family benefits are around 30000 right? Mm-hmm. They're contributed by the, the teacher as well as the school district. So you figure about $90,000 per full-time equivalent. So when you talk about $2.9 million, if you just everything stayed the same, you're talking about 30 cuts. Right. Now, my first year, we cut 50 jobs, but we repurposed about 25 because of the pre-K opening, Herbertsville pre-K. Right. We were able to move teachers there. And pre-K, through our PIA grant, is paid 83% from the state. Okay. So that was a great deal. And then we had a high retirement that year, about 27 and attrition. So we actually, I think, lost three bodies, three people okay. on the first year. So we really pulled it off. The last two years, through attrition and retirements, we cut jobs. Since 2018 in BRIC and S2, we've cut 186 jobs. We'll be over 200 jobs with this coming budget cycle that is cut because of S2. Um, when we started this budget process, we anticipated losing, say, $2.9 million. The budget's kind of weird. They come out a few weeks ago and say, okay, here's your numbers. Again, not explaining the detail of the formula. Right. Where Tom's River was anticipating $4 million, they got cut $14 million. Where we were anticipating two point nine, we only got cut like two point five. Okay. We actually got a little money back. Unfortunately, that sounds good. That's, <laughs> uh, that's, I hate to say that's a positive silver lining, but great. It was, right? It was <laughs> right. a few jobs. So we start the budget process with, with cutting you know, 40-plus jobs uh, in this process. Around that time, or before the budget numbers came out, about a few weeks, I wrote a white paper. Um, I'm kind of a lifelong learner and a little bit of a research geek in the sense that when I don't understand something thoroughly and I think it's affecting you know, our organization, our district, I really take the time and do some research. So I wrote a white paper, and a, you know, a white paper... The just, just, I'm sorry to interrupt. So this sure. is the document that we got phone calls about, emails about. Yes. I've been tweeting it, yes. and, and and Sue McNamara's been tweeting. It, but this, this is that document. Correct. Okay, so go ahead and tell us a little bit. But maybe in some layman's terms, you could explain what sure. that document is. Um, so a white paper goes back to British Parliament. They used to put a white cardboard paper on the top for policy change to show how important it was. You just taught me something right there. Uh, I did not. Yeah, that's where it goes back to. <laughs> that's wonderful. And. Uh, when you go in, in doctoral programs, a white paper really is written for public policy. You write it to implement or change a policy. And when you do it, you have to have a, a purpose to the paper, right? And you have to have some kind of call to action at the end, a conclusion, short term and long term. So I wrote this white paper about a month ago, and it took me a good month and a half to get the research in. Uh, Monmouth University has published it, um, some other Local media outlets have actually published it. Um, and basically, it says there's a paradox in our funding form in the sense that the state sets two numbers, the local fair share and what you should have as a budget, but there's no mechanism for us to reach that number because of the 2% property tax gap and because of what they have done with S2 and the aid. So that's the paradox. We don't have a mechanism to get to what they say is a thorough and efficient education. 
So at the end of the white paper, I gave them a short-term and a long-term uh, conclusion. The long-term conclusion is to change the funding formula, right? But I don't think that's going to happen soon, okay. though. There's news today on that. That's going to that's gonna happen, but not soon. And the other long term is to get federal government involvement more on the Title III, which is uh, immigrant status, ELL population, which has increased uh, quadrupled for us in the last four years. Uh, the short term was to simply look at the adequacy aid legislation of 2018 and repurpose some of that money that's been frozen. Or in the state, there's $12 billion in surplus right now. We feel they should take $100 million, this was right in my white paper, and, and repurpose that to just the districts that lost money. Not a ton, but no. there's a decent amount that lost money in this budget cycle while you revisit the funding formula long term. So it kind of got some traction, this white paper. From the white paper, I did a condensed version article for local newspapers, yes. right? For layman's terms, and we sent that out. And we did op-eds and editorials. Well, last week, I kind of was on the circuit meeting with local legislation and union leaders, uh, Tim Puglisi here in Brick, uh, Holzapple, McGuckin, Connors, local, Vinco, Paul legislators, uh, the four Ocean County districts that were seriously affected that would be cutting 400 jobs in four districts. Uh, we met, met with the county board of commissioners, spoke in public at a few of their board meetings and other board meetings. I uh, met with Vin Kopal, the Monmouth County legislator, because Freehold Regional High School District was drastically affected. And it really started to get some traction because we used that as our voice, the white paper in the article. And we kept handing them and sending them out to the governor's office, to the commissioner. I met with the commissioner last Tuesday, um, and I don't think it went on deaf ears. So Friday we got news, and then Saturday actually speaking with Vin Gopal directly, we got news. Today, the state legislator is voting to put $100 million back into the budget that uh, Governor Murphy introduced a few weeks ago just for us districts, so we would get 66% back of the $2.5 million losing for next year, which will save 20 jobs. Now, 20 jobs. and with retirements... We could make up the difference, it's, hopefully. It's possible. We it don't know possible. that, obviously. I still think there'll be a few job cuts, yeah. Okay. But but it's not going to be to the level we thought going in. These other districts must be so grateful to you for starting the ball rolling on this process. Uh, yeah, we worked. So Freehold Regional uh, Superintendent Chuck Sampson, okay. Dr. Sampson, has done a tremendous job with the editorial side. Uh, Mike Sitta at Tom's River, Nicole Pormilli at Jackson, Vanessa Panera at Lacey. We all worked together. I did the white paper side. Mike Sitter was doing more of the newspaper and media side, talking to them. Um, and everybody had a different approach. You know, uh, Chuck Sampson and I think Mike Sitter, they're still about the formula needs to be changed. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't disagree with that. Never did. I just think we needed to give the state an out short term to fix the problem now. Right. So I was really pumping, hey, just take some of that $12 billion Let's do it now. And there was a bill that passed the Senate last summer, a bipartisan bill from Declan O'Scanlan in Monmouth County and Vinco Paul to review the funding formula with a committee of which I'll be on. I'll be representing the superintendents. Now they need to get that passed through the assembly. So that's going to be the second part after today voting to put the $100 million back is to now let's go back to the drawing board on the whole funding formula because we don't want to be in this case next year. Right. This will just be a Band-Aid for this year, and we'll be cutting 40 jobs again next year with the loss scheduled on S2.
So that's what happened. So that's why it's great news. And, and listen, there's a lot of people to thank. You know, I, I know I, I did a report, but our Board of Education, our Mayor Lisa Crete, our local legislators, Tim Puglisi, our, my cabinet, Central Office Minute, they really helped yourselves. You know, people tweeting this out, promoting it, putting it on the website, mailing it out, contacting. I was on the radio, two radio stations last week, and I've received a bunch of emails from local community members who asked, where can I go for that white paper, which is on the website, www.brickschools.org. And we're going to put a link to it right on this episode. <laughs> That's right. And we're going to put this, I hope, maybe on the we'll, website. We'll put this everywhere. <laughs> and they can download the report or the article and send it to any legislator or local politician they think that can help. Final question, the call to action. What can we do, the community? What do you want us to do to help you? Or can, is that possible? Oh, no, absolutely. So at the end of the day, we still have a fight ahead of us, meaning the funding formula still needs to be changed. This is a quick fix. I don't want it to placate any of us uh, educators here um, in the sense that we have a long road to us. So I think the more we can reach out to the policymakers and the legislators and say that the funding formula is inequitable. It doesn't, it's not, there is no equity in the funding formula here. Why should a student in brick or our average cost per pupil is 15500 lose aid when there are students in some of our urban districts over 40000 per student gaining aid. just doesn't make sense. A thorough and efficient education is a thorough and efficient education for everybody. Well, uh, Dr. Frau, thank you so much for being here, for explaining this, and I think this is going to help a lot of people. And thank you so much on behalf of all the teachers. Uh, thank you so much for fighting for our jobs and, you know, the we mean so much to the students as much as they mean to us. So we, we really love how uh, smooth the buildings are all running because of your leadership. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. And let's get this out there. We absolutely will. This has been the Mustang Express podcast. We want to thank Dr. Farrell for coming in to share the news of what's been going on in the state, what he's been doing to try to help the students, the teachers, the faculty, the staff, and the entire community of the Brick School District. If you'd like to read further of the information, either the white paper or the article published for the press, you can find links to them in this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you again, Dr. Farrell. And remember, it's always a great day to be a Mustang.